Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, this past summer, uh, Sue and I took a week to do what they call the circle tour around Lake Michigan. You ever done that around the lake? And so we started in the lower peninsula of Michigan, going up the east side of the lake, stopping at various towns along the way. Uh, The third night, my destination point was Traverse City. And I'd done a little bit of research online, found out this is a a quaint coastal town of about 15,000 residents. Seemed very, very beautiful online. Uh, But as we were driving into Traverse City that third day, about five miles out, the traffic was backed up. And I'm wondering, what is going on here? So I Googled again, thinking maybe it was an automobile accident. Well, it turns out we were arriving at Cherry Festival Week, where this quaint little coastal town of 15,000 residents swells with 500,000 tourists, half a million people, and we were there. Uh, Sue will never trust me as a vacation planner again. So we we get into town, there is not a hotel within 20 miles that's got a room, so I go on Airbnb and I find us a bed. And when I say a bed, I mean like a bed, okay? It was a really old house, it was packed with other people, and we got the cubbyhole space up these rickety stairs. I got to the top of the stairs, I looked at Sue, I said, there's no bathroom up here. Like, babe, if i got to use a bathroom in the middle of the night and go down those creaky stairs, I'm going to wake everybody in the house. What, what am I going to do? She looked at me and she pointed to the styrofoam cup I was holding in my hand. No way. No. You, you ever been in a situation like that? You're out of town, you're looking for a place to stay, but you're seeing nothing but no vacancy signs. Well, that was the predicament that Joseph and Mary found themselves in that first Christmas. Let me read the opening verses of this familiar story to you from the classic Christmas text. That's Luke 2. Okay, if you brought a Bible with you, you could follow along or you could find it on your phone. This is Luke 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, Thank you, God, for your book. Well, here's a little historical background, a little context to help you understand the story. It begins with a dude named Caesar Augustus. He was the first Roman emperor. Many historians say the greatest Roman emperor. He led Rome into a golden era of literature and culture and game games in the uh, you know stadiums and so on. He was he was kind of stuck on himself. He was the dude who introduced the cult of emperor worship. Yeah, worship me, and uh, he. He issued a decree decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and this was the entire Mediterranean was uh, under his rule at the time. Everybody had to go to their hometown to register. This was for taxation purposes. That brings us to a young couple by the names of Joseph and Mary. 
They lived in the little town of Nazareth in a province called Galilee, but Joseph's hometown was down in a town called Bethlehem in the province of Galilee. Bethlehem was uh, about 70 miles due south of Nazareth. He had to make the journey. It was a three-day journey. had to be made on foot. And I say it had to be made on foot. There was no Amtrak train going there. There was no Greyhound bus. There was no shaggy donkey. Okay, I know we're used to seeing pictures of Mary and Joseph, you know, Mary riding the donkey. Uh, There's no donkey mentioned in the biblical account, which is a bummer for me because I had the solo part of the donkey in my my middle school Christmas (laughs) production. I mean, I could still remember the song. I said, the donkey shaggy and brown. I carried his mother uphill and down. I carried his mother to Bethlehem town. I said, the donkey shaggy and brown. But I was misinformed. (laughs) There was no donkey. Uh, not, Not that we know of anyway. It was a three-day arduous trip. Now, probably not so bad if you're young and robust, you're a carpenter like Joseph, but it had to have been horrible for Joseph's pregnant fiance, Mary. Now, when I say fiance, quick clarification here, engagement in uh, Joseph and Mary's culture was a, a much more serious deal than it is for us today. In their first century culture, to be engaged was, was as binding as to be married. In fact, they often referred to a, an engaged couple as husband and wife, uh, even though they weren't living together each, uh, with, with each other yet, and certainly no sex until their wedding day. So how did Mary get pregnant? Well, the Bible explains that the baby in Mary's womb had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Her child was both God and human, And this unborn baby made the three-day trek to Bethlehem, especially grueling for Mary. And Joseph and Mary finally arrive at Bethlehem with scores of other tax-registering visitors, and there wasn't a no-vacancy sign in sight. No vacancy in Bethlehem. No place to welcome the Son of God. Now, today, Christmas Eve 2018. I wonder if the same condition exists in our lives with respect to Jesus Christ. Do we have a place for him? Or does he get a no vacancy response from us? As we consider again the original Christmas story, there are three questions I'd like to ask you. Question number one, I'll call the room question. And it's simply this. Do you have room? Do you have room in your life for Jesus? I want to go back to the text, Luke 2. We ended at verse 5. Let me pick it up at verse 6 and continue reading. It says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. No guest room available for them. Historians tell us that a, a typical house back in first century Palestine uh, might have three rooms. Okay, the, the, the family would live in the center room. That was the biggest room. And when I say they would live there, I'm, I mean everything they did was there. They ate there, they slept there, they watched TV and played video games there. Okay, that was the center room. And then to one side of it was a guest room. 
And this was kept available for guests because in those days there were no hotels. If you were a visitor coming to town, you would look for for a family with an empty guest room. And at the other end of the house, the third room would be a stable where the family kept the animals. Well, according to Luke 2, all the guest rooms in Bethlehem were full due to the tax registration visitors. So Joseph and Mary were staying in somebody's stable where they had to use the animal's feeding trough, a manger, as a bed for their baby boy. So God, listen, God sent his son into the world, but nobody had any room for him. I once heard a a time management expert talking about making room in our schedules for really important things. So he used this analogy that's always stuck with me. In fact, I've borrowed it. I've used it myself numerous times. He brought out a big plastic jug, put it on a table, and he said to his audience as he dropped three big rocks in his jug, he said, is my jug full? It sure looked full, so everybody called out, yeah, it's full. And he said, no, it's not full. He took a bag of gravel and he poured it over the top of the three big rocks till it got to the top, and he said, now, is my jug full? Well, they could tell he was up to something, so they were hesitant, but it it still seemed full, so they said, yeah, it's full. He said, no, it's not full. Pulled out a bag of sand and poured it over the top of the gravel, and it sifted down between the gravel pieces and the big rocks and right up to the top, and he said, now is my jug full? And of course, by this time, nobody wants to answer because they know they're going to get it wrong. And so he answers his own question. He says, yes. You know, it looks full, but no, it's not full. And he pulls out a pitcher and he dumps some water over the top and now it's filled to the brim and he exclaims, now my plastic jug is full. And then he asks a question. He says, so what is the lesson? What is the time management lesson here? And some dude in the front row, he raises his hand and he says, well, no matter how full my schedule is, I can always fit a little bit more. And the time management expert said, no. Now, here's the lesson. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. So if you don't put the most important things in your life in the schedule first, there will never be room for them. So let's apply that lesson to a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a son of God, he's certainly the biggest rock. He is the most important person we could ever put in our lives. But truth be known, many of us don't have any room for him. If we want to get the most important thing into our schedule, we got to put them in first. But Jesus is just not that top priority. And and now our our lives are so cramped full of other things. Our lives are full of jobs and shopping and travel and kids' activities and working out and hanging with friends and the bears and, and whatever that we can't squeeze Jesus in. May may I challenge you this Christmas season to make room in your life for what's most important, to make room for Jesus. Now, what what does that mean? Well, if you're a Christ follower, well, let's start with uh, those who aren't Christ followers. If you're not yet a Christ follower, it means making room for exploring the possibility of a relationship with Jesus, being willing to admit the possibility, at least, that you're missing something really important in your life. determining that you're going to check it out. You're going to check it out. How do you check it out? I could suggest a couple of really practical ways. Here's a a challenge for you. Consider coming to church for three months in the new year. Now, come back to Christ Community Church. 
you know, go to some other church that teaches the Bible, if at the end of three months, what you learn about Jesus isn't making a huge difference in your life, then I, I give you permission to stop going. Here's another thing you could do if you're not yet a Christ follower. Take us up on that Alpha course you heard mentioned earlier in the service during the announcements. You know, Alpha is being offered all around the world right now. It got started in a church in England, but it's being used all around the world. It's a 10-week course. It's a discussion-oriented. If you're kicking the tires, exploring the possibility of a relationship with Christ, bring your questions about God and the Bible and Jesus and the Christian faith. You could go online and find out when we're offering it, what campus and so on. CCCLife.org is our website. Check it out. Now, if you're already a Christ follower, what does making room for Jesus look like? Well, it means making room to grow in this relationship. So if you started coming to church, but, you know, you're making it about once or twice a month, or if you bought yourself a Bible, but you haven't really begun reading it yet, or you joined a community group. You know, we've got 300 community groups across our four campuses. Bible studies for men, for women, for couples, for singles, for students. And you, you joined a group, but you only make it about half the time. Or, or you're a student, you're a middle school, a high school student, and you've yet to check out our midweek ministries for middle school and high school students. Or you've never found a place to serve Jesus around here. We've got a bazillion opportunities for you to do that. Make room in your life for Christ. If he's the biggest rock, get him in the jar, in the jug as soon as you can. Now, why, why this big deal uh, about Jesus? You know, uh, what are you going to lose out on if you miss out on Christ? That leads us to the second question. Question number two is the, is the recognition question. Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? I mean, this will tell you what you're going to miss out on. Who, who is Jesus? Let's go back to the story, Luke 2. Pick it up at verse 8. Mary has just given birth to Jesus. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Now this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now there's an interesting contrast in these verses. I don't know if you saw it as I, I was reading it to you. On, on the one hand, the shepherds are told that when they, when they first see Jesus, he's not going to look like much. You know, they're, they're going to encounter a little baby wrapped in some, you know, some dirty cloths and lying in an animal's feeding trough. But, but on the other hand, the angels prepare the shepherds to recognize Jesus for who he truly is. This little baby, they say, is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Now, I'm going to come back to those incredible titles in, in just a moment, but I just want to ask, when you consider Jesus, when you hear me say, make room for Jesus, is Jesus somebody you can take or leave? Is, is a growing relationship with Jesus kind of an optional deal in your mind, or do you recognize Jesus for who he really is? Because if you did, it would spark an interest, a desire in you to pursue him with all your heart. Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? You know, Sue and I were in the city a couple weeks ago. 
our anniversary is at the uh, start of December. And so I, I took Sue into the city and I managed to snag a couple of tickets to Hamilton. This is the, uh, the Rage, the show that everybody wants to see. And when it first came out, I discovered I would need a second mortgage on my home to purchase tickets. So I waited for the ticket prices to come down and then I finally figured, okay, I could spend a bundle. It's my anniversary. So we went to Hamilton and the intermission came and we engaged this couple sitting next to us in conversation. Very friendly people said they were visiting town, visiting uh, Chicago from California, that their house had been very near the wildfires. The, the fires had stopped like 50 yards shy of their home and uh, very warm conversationalists. They were cool looking. They're about our age, but the guy had on skinny jeans with the, the, the tears in them. He had long hair with the braid in it. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, this is like California cool, right? But he says in the middle of our conversation, he says, yeah, I got to get back to California to meet up with my bandmates because we got a, a gig coming up. And I'm thinking, oh, he must be a, a member of a local indie band. And I'm, you know, I lean over and I say, so what's the name of your band? And he looks at me and he says, REO Speedwagon. <laughs> now, you know, those of you who aren't laughing because you don't know your rock and roll history, Okay, REO is like one of the biggest bands back in the 70s and 80s. They were still around, still performing uh, today, universally known, known, do concerts around the world. I was talking to Brian Hitt, the drummer of the last 30 years for REO. Uh, <laughs> my new best bud, yeah. And so I said to him, I said, REO, oh, sorry, dude, I didn't recognize you. Now, it's one thing, here, you know, here's the, the reason behind my celebrity spotting anecdote here. It's one thing not to recognize the drummer of a popular rock and roll band. It's another matter entirely not to recognize the world's savior, Messiah, Lord, for who he is. Because that would lead to forfeiting a relationship with the most important person in the universe. The, the person who could have the greatest impact on your life both now and in eternity. So let, let, let me explain what I'm talking about here by describing what's meant by each of the titles that the angel assigns to Jesus, starting with the title Savior, Savior of the world. The Bible says every one of us needs a Savior. Now, here's our problem. We have this gnarly tendency... We have this rebellious streak in us, the Bible calls it a sinful nature, that causes us to constantly go our way instead of God's way. So God says, do this, and we don't want to do that. He says, don't do that, and that's exactly what we want to do and what we do. And we do it countless times in the course of a day. Now, the problem with going your own way instead of God's way is that you disconnect from, you, you alienate the one who's the giver of life, the source of life. So, so what happens when you unplug from the one whose life? The consequence is death. And that's exactly what the Bible says. Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And when the Bible talks death, it, it talks about spiritual death that begins on the inside. Our relationship with God is dead. It's dead on arrival, D-O-A. And then at the end of this life, we die physically from cancer or car accident or, or whatever. And then if the problem isn't fixed, we head into eternity and experience eternal death, separation from God forever. It's our choice. We disconnected. We lose life. 
But God loves us so much. And the Bible says that first Christmas he sent us his son. Why did Jesus come? Well, he was born in Bethlehem so he could die at a place called Calvary. He, he was born so that he could take the death our sins deserve. He could pay the penalty for our sins. And then he was raised to life, the Bible says, so that he's able to offer today. He's able to offer today forgiveness and new life, a life that starts the minute you surrender to him and it continues on into eternity. New life to everyone who surrenders to him. To everyone who says, I want you to be my savior, Jesus. Have you ever said to him, I surrender my life to you and meant it? Have you ever said, I want you to be my savior, not just savior of the world. I want you to be my savior. That's who you are. I recognize you for who you are. Second title that the angel gives to Jesus is Messiah. Messiah. Old Testament prophets promised that one day God would send the world a Messiah. The word means a king who would reign in righteousness over an eternal kingdom. You know, we're talking about the world's ultimate ruler. So if Jesus is this Messiah, if he's the ultimate ruler, what should our response to him be? Shouldn't it be loyalty? Shouldn't it be honor and obedience? Shouldn't we hang on Jesus every word, looking to this book as a roadmap for our lives? Wouldn't that make sense? You know, if we continue to go our own way instead of his way, if we refuse to serve him, friends, that would be foolish at best. It would be treasonous at worst if Jesus is the world's ultimate ruler. Which, which brings us to the third and final title that the angel gave Jesus, called him Lord. Now, now this is a title reserved for God himself in the Bible. So the angel is calling baby Jesus God, God the Son, the God who created the universe, the God who created you, the God who knows you better than you know yourself, the, the, the God who sustains every beat of your heart, every breath of your lungs, the God who's worthy of, who deserves your warmest love, your deepest gratitude, your regular worship. Now, do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Do you really recognize Jesus as Savior, as Messiah, ruler, as Lord? And do you see how important it is to make room in your life for him? Here's a third question. I call it the response question. So how are you going to respond to Jesus? Back to Luke 2 one last time. Drop down to verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, the phrase that sticks out to me in these verses was that the shepherds hurried off. They, they hurried off to find Jesus. That was their response to the Savior, the Messiah, the, the Lord. It was an immediate pursuit. And it stands in, in, in stark contrast to the response of most of the, the, the Bethlehemites at the time. 
Most of the people living in Bethlehem, they had no room in their lives for Jesus. But when the shepherds heard that this baby was the Savior, the one who could save them from their sins and ultimate death, he was the Messiah, the one who could reign over the universe, but also over their lives, giving direction and purpose. The Lord, God himself, come in the flesh. They made a beeline for that stable. They immediately dropped everything in order to pursue him. So my question for you is, are you more like a Bethlehemite or like a shepherd? You know, is, is there no room or perhaps very limited room in your life for Jesus? Or are you ready to pursue Jesus like he's the most important thing in the world to you? One of the only TV shows that Sue and I watch with any regularity is a show called Bull. If you've ever seen it, uh, it's about, the main character is a guy named Dr. Jason Bull. He is a psychologist who works for a legal team, and he helps them choose jurors and you know, prompt their, their client for going before a, a jury in order to get their clients off the hook. And so uh, recently, in fact, the most recent episode, they were defending this Roman Catholic priest. Uh, the priest had been charged with hit and run. He had killed a young woman with the church fan. There was blood on the bumper of the church fan. Now, what actually had happened, and the viewer is led to understand this, what had actually happened, a young boy, high school boy, had borrowed the van, had hit this girl and driven off, leaving her for, for dead, come back to the church, dropped the van off, and then confessed what he'd done to the priest. Well, in, in Roman Catholicism, a, a, a priest takes a vow to never divulge, never share anything he's heard in confession. So the authorities come to him, they want to know what's going on, and he can't tell them anything. So he is charged with the crime. He's going to go to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Now at the end of the show, spoiler alert here, all right? At the end of the show, Dr. Jason Bull gets him off the hook. But as they're walking out of the courthouse, he turns to the priest and he says, would you really have gone to prison alone for a crime you didn't commit? And the, the, the priest looks at Jason Bull and he says, I wouldn't have gone alone, a reference to, to God. Now, Jason Bull doesn't have a relationship with God, so he turns to the priest and he says, yeah, I envy you. He said, in fact, just a year ago at this time, coming out of this courthouse, I had a heart attack right here on the courthouse steps. I was lying on my back looking up at the blue sky in tremendous pain, and people were walking past me, and I was all alone. And the priest reaches out and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, come to church. I can get you close to God. And so I moved to the edge of my seat because I, wa I want to know, is this where Jason Bull gets saved? <laughs> and he looks at the priest and he says, well, here's the problem. I can't get my butt out of bed on Sunday mornings. Wow. No room. No room in his life for Jesus, for the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord. Is there room in your life for Christ? If there is, how much room is there? I love a little poem called A Little Bit of God. It goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. 
Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but you know, just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I, I don't want enough of God to make me love people of a different race or serve those with needs. So I, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. What about you? Are you willing to settle for $3 worth of God? Because that's about what you get in an annual Christmas Eve service, about $3 worth of God. Will that amount of God change your life? Will that amount of God save you from spiritual, physical, eternal death? Because I invite you this Christmas Eve to put your whole trust in Jesus, to get the whole thing to get God's son come in the flesh, to get the savior of the world, to get the ruler of the universe, to surrender your life to Christ, to experience a death-busting, life-transforming relationship with Christ. Would you pray with me? In just a moment, we're going to sing Silent Night, but before we get to Silent Night and candles, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Christ. If you've never done this before, you know, it takes a simple prayer. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because you grew up going to church. It doesn't happen because you're a good neighbor or a good parent or a good boss or, you know, whatever. It happens because you make the decision to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And around here, we say the surrender prayer, which gets prayed just about every weekend. Every weekend, somebody surrendering, surrendering their life to Christ. We say that prayer has got three main verbs in it, okay? The first verb is sorry. Sorry. And you begin the prayer, and you could pray this from your heart right now. You don't have to use my words. Just use your own words. But say, sorry, God, I have been going my way instead of your way. I have been doing the things you say don't do. I've not been doing the things you say I should do. And I have separated myself, become disconnected from the giver of life. you got to own up to that. You can't come to Christ still claiming your own merits. I'm a pretty good person. you you got to be willing to say, sorry. Sorry, I'm a, a sinner who, who is separated from you, a holy God. Can you say that? Can you personalize it? Can, can you look at specific sins in your life and say, God, for me, it's materialism. For me, it's this or that addiction. For me, it's lust or pride or bitterness toward people I don't like. And I'm sorry. And the second verb is to say thanks. Thanks, Jesus, for what you did for me. Not only are you the savior of the world, you gave your life on the cross to take the death I deserve to die. And I've, I've, never, I've never told you thank you. I've never said I want you to be my savior. That's what thanks means. Thanks means thank you for doing it for me. Can you put it in your own words right now in your heart? Can you say thank you, Jesus? This is for me. The third word you want to say is please. Please come into my life. Please take over the reins. Please become the Messiah, the ruler that you deserve to be. Please give me an appetite for your holy word so that I want to read your book and I want to follow it. 
You know, please begin to run things. Where I used to run things, I want you, I want you to take charge. Please, can you pray that prayer? That, that's the prayer of surrender. Just say, sorry, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Please become the Savior, the King of my life. And if you've already made this decision, you, you consider yourself a Christ follower, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to look at your life. How much room are you making for the one who's Savior, Messiah, and Lord? Is he getting a token amount? Is he getting $3 worth of your time and effort? Are there things you need to take out of the jug so you could put the big rock in the jug in 2019? Commit to him right now, Jesus. I want you to be my first priority in the new year because you deserve it. Lord God, you have heard the prayer of our hearts. You know the sincerity, whether we've prayed like we really mean it or we've prayed because we're just looking for a way to get off a hook somehow. And I pray that you, you would help us to mean it and you would bring the change that comes from the inside out. We pray in your name. Amen.